20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is happening, Packer fans? Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Thank you so much for being here today. We have a ton of trade discussion, including the Razul Douglas trade that we'll get to. We've got best and worst grades from this past week against the Minnesota Vikings. Really excited to dig into that. Before I get there, really quick, not going to take too much of your time, but if you haven't yet checked out Pack a Day memberships, definitely do so over on the YouTube channel. Really big update here for all Packaday members. If you like getting the episodes a little bit earlier, usually I upload them at night. They launch at 5 a.m. every morning. But now for Packaday podcast members, all members, they will get the episode early on YouTube as soon as the episode is finished and uploaded. So you definitely get a bit of a benefit there. So again, check out all the membership levels. There's four different levels. There is starter, Pro Bowl, All Pro, and Hall of Fame members. If you haven't checked it out yet, please make sure to do so. But on to our discussion and let's kick things off right away with the trade deadline deals. I'm going to go over specifically the NFC North. And of course, I'm going to start off with Razul Douglas getting traded from Green Bay to the Buffalo Bills. A lot of just emotion and feelings and thoughts about this trade from just about everywhere. And I get all sides of it. I legitimately do. If you want to get my bigger, longer take, I did a full episode uh, live uh, yesterday, so you can check that out um, and, and kind of you know review uh, all my initial thoughts on the trade. And I talked about this trade a couple weeks ago, thinking that there was some potential that could happen. Now, in you know sort of that mindset, I thought at the time with Stokes coming back and with Valentine being a potential player there as well that it could have made some sense. Well, in the meantime, since we talked about it last, Stokes injured his hamstring, goes on IR, and Valentine performed poorly against Denver. This will provide Valentine some more additional playing time, which I think is in general a good thing. I think getting him some playing time out in the field and seeing what he can do, and if he can show signs of improvement, that's never a downside. You're going to get Stokes back at some point this year, but I wholeheartedly understand the emotion for fans that goes into this because Razul has been a top five player on this team this year. In my opinion, the Packers' second best defender on the season. If you wanted to make an argument that he was the Packers' best defender, I would certainly listen to that. I think it's within the realm of conversation and discussion uh, to have those thoughts. Either way, he's been playing great football. In my opinion, the best football of his career. Buffalo is getting a phenomenal leader, a playmaker in the secondary, somebody who has made some significant big plays for Green Bay that cares about the game deeply, that is super smart in the defensive backfield, that is a great mentor for the younger players on the team, and all the other stuff that we're going to talk about from a, you know, draft valuation and gaining future assets and all those sort of things. All of that stuff is important, but having veterans in your locker room that can assist younger players and help them maybe get to that next level can very much be important as well. Now, what I will say is Green Bay seems to have gone away from that for better or worse. Not bringing Mercedes Lewis back is about the biggest sign that you can possibly have of when it sounds like Mercedes was open to coming back and and playing in Green Bay, not bringing Mercedes back and saying, hey, we're going to go with basically a bunch of rookies and Josiah DeGuara at tight end is kind of all you need to know about where Green Bay is concerned right now. And it's not from a locker room standpoint, again, for better or worse. And for people who have a lot of concern over that, 
Trust me, I get it. I understand it. I do think there is a lot of baked in value to having guys like Razul Douglas and Mercedes Lewis around in the locker room to help mentor other players. I will also say this, and and if you haven't checked out Cassidy Hill's tweet, go check out her tweet of how important Razul is to the locker room. But even knowing that, and even knowing how connected Cassidy is with the locker room, we don't see all sides of it. We don't get to be in that cornerback room. We don't know, at least as of myself recording this, prior to Brian Gudikins talking on Wednesday, we don't know if Razul was asking for a trade, demanding a trade, wanted out of Green Bay, was frustrated with the situation. I'm not reporting any of that. I have no inside knowledge of that information, but it's all really interesting that, uh, you know, and it all goes into the equation of just things that we don't know. Maybe to the media and maybe in the locker room when the media was present, Razul was A1 guy and it seemed like all the teammates, but maybe there was other stuff behind closed doors. I don't think that's the case. Let me be abundantly clear. I think Razul was great for that locker room, but we never quite know the full story. But let's just go back to Mercedes for a second. When you're moving on from Mercedes and saying, no, we're going to go in a different direction, that tells you all you need to know of. Green Bay right now is not in the business of like, all right, how do we get the best guys in the locker room? They're trying to figure out the ways that they can get young, talented players that can come up together and start you know, building towards a future. And as Brian Gudikin said prior to the start of the season, they need to be better. And I think this is a great example of that. Razul Douglas has been one of the best players on this defense. And we are all still complaining about how bad the defense is every week. And now clearly and obviously taking Razul away from that, very unlikely to make that better. In fact, it's very likely that that gets significantly worse without Razul Douglas out on the field. But even with Razul out there, this defense has not been good enough. And so you have to find ways to put players on the field that you can start transitioning into what you're hoping is going to be a better era in 2025 or 2026. And with Razul, he is under contract for one and a half more years, the rest of this season and all of next season. This season is gone. It's done with, it's over with. Razul cannot help Green Bay win this year. Green Bay cannot win this year. They can win more games, but they cannot be a winning successful team in 2023. So Razul's contract in 2023 and his contributions towards helping the Packers become a better team, it doesn't matter all that much in 2023, which means that there is one year left on Razul's deal that matters, which is 2024. Now, I am officially saying that he is 29 years old this year because the Packers website had it, and now the Bills website lists him as 29 as well, as does over the cap. So I'm saying, screw you, Wikipedia. Wikipedia has him at age 28, but he will be age 30 next year in Green Bay. And next year, he will be on a one-year deal if he, if he were in Green Bay still prior to this trade. So one year left at age 30. And if we're being abundantly honest, this is still going to take some time. If we're seeing the same Green Bay team, and I'm not saying, I'm saying if you're seeing the same Green Bay team that I am, this is not going to be a one-year fix. This is going to take time, effort, and energy from a ton of people. And so Razul, yes, would help this team be better in 2024, but Razul is not going to help this team get over the hump and become a championship contender. And this is about eventually down the road, trying to build a championship contender. We can easily make an argument as well that, hey, is a you know third late third round pick going to help all that much? Probably not, especially the way that Green Bay's history in the, with third round picks is gone. But you don't know. That could be a big time player down the road. 
I get that these are very difficult conversations and we are not used to being in the position of watching Green Bay trade away talented players because they're not competing. That basically has not happened in my lifetime. And there is going to be, as I said at the onset, some very real emotions that comes along with that when he has been one of the better players on the team this year. How I would ultimately boil this down, this trade down to, what I would ultimately boil it down to is here's here's the trade at its realist logical terms, taking aside the, the mentorship and the locker room stuff. Just from a peer, if you're being a cold brass tacks general manager and you're just worried about acquiring future stuff, this is how I would view it. Do you want 1.5 years of Razul Douglas with 0.5 of those years basically not mattering? So you got one year left next year where he could potentially help you at age 30 plus pick about 140-ish in next year's draft is where I would expect Green Bay's fifth round pick to be somewhere in that range. So a year and a half of Razul, which is basically one year of Razul at age 30 and pick 140 in next year's draft, or would you rather have pick 90 in next year's draft, a top 100 pick, and and a key thing here, about 7.3 million in savings that you created from trading away Razul Douglas right now. You save some this year, about 800,000-ish, some next year, about 6.5 million. And remember, you can carry over salary cap. So they save about 7.3 million total by trading away Razul. So I'll say that one more time. A year and a half of Razul with a half of that year, basically sunk cost already, and pick 140-ish for pick 90-ish and 7.3 million of salary cap space. Knowing and remembering that 2023 lost cause, 2024, probably a lost cause. Never can say for sure, but based on how things are trending right now, 2024, probably not going to go great and as expected either. And at minimum, even if they take a significant step in the right direction, it would be a shocker if they were competing for a Super Bowl in 2024. It will be a pleasant surprise if they're even competing for playoffs in 2024, but I think we could probably come to a fair and honest agreement that Super Bowl is not in the cards in 2024 for Green Bay. With that in mind, again, he was only under contract through next year at age 30. If you were to re-sign him after that, now he's into ages 31, 32, and 33. And I think the biggest thing to remember here is you are selling him at his highest point. There will never be a time again where Razul has bigger trade value than he did probably on this particular day on the trade deadline for a team that's trying to compete for a Super Bowl in Buffalo and is willing to give a top 100 pick. Remember, Chase Young goes for a later third round pick, a compensatory third round pick from the 49ers. Now, the commanders did not have to give up a fifth round pick, but Chase Young did not get the even a, a higher third round pick than what Green Bay got in return for Razul Douglas just to kind of give you an idea of where compensation was on these things. So this is a pretty significant return. Would I have liked them to not have to get give up the fifth round pick? Yes. Do I think it probably would have been more fair if that was a sixth or seventh round pick that they had to give? Yes. Do I think it's terrible value for Rasul based on having one year left on his deal after this, even though it was a really great contract remaining for Buffalo? No, I think this was probably at least in the right vicinity for trade value. Like I said, I my small qualm would be maybe a sixth instead of a fifth going back to Buffalo. It's not worth battling over all that much. That's my overarching takeaway on it is I understand those of you that might be upset with trading away a good player who's important to this locker room and culture and is really trying to bring players up. If, If you're upset by that, I get it. And I'm not 
I'm not not upset by that. I understand that too. I feel that too. And that's why I kind of, when I broke down 10 trades that could happen, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago when I brought it up, I'm like, this is a really difficult one. This is a really difficult one even to discuss, much less actually execute on. And that was again, before we even knew that Stokes uh, hurt his hamstring again, right? Those are all things that, you know, I think have to go into the equation. It's not, there's no perfect answer here. If you're excited about the deal and getting, you know, 7 million savings, over 7 million savings and a top 100 pick for a corner that they just picked up off the practice squad a couple of years ago, I get it. I understand it. I can see value in that deal. If you're upset because Green Bay traded away one of their best players and got a late third round pick in a round that Green Bay has massively struggled with over the past decade, I get that too. I can understand the deal is probably where I come down on it. I think I probably would have done it too if I was Green Bay, but it would not have been an easy decision. And I don't know if Green Bay still has their, uh, I haven't heard any mention of this recently, of their leadership council in Green Bay You know, since Aaron Rodgers left. I don't know if that's a thing that still exists. That's something that I probably would have wanted to consult with a lot of key members of the organization and some of the veterans on the team to see how that trade would have been you know, just um, evaluated within the locker room. Because I think there is a chance that Green Bay's morale in the locker room and just understanding that, hey, they just traded away one of the best players on the team for future draft capital. Maybe the message needed to be sent of, hey, nobody's safe. If you don't think you can lose your job, one of the players who was just, uh, you know, you know, playing his best football is no longer on the team. Now, losing your job or going to a much better situation might be a, a two totally different things, but maybe it sends a message and maybe it gets through to players of like, okay, they're not messing around. I think it probably is more likely to go to the opposite direction of like, great, we already lost four games in a row and now one of our best players is in Buffalo and it probably brings the team down a little bit. It'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting to see. Know that these are part of the decisions and all part of the equation that has to go into a rebuilding football team. And if there was any doubt before, if any of you were holding on to that last bastion of, it's not a rebuild, it's a freaking rebuild. It is a aggressive rebuild. They are tearing this thing pretty close uh, down as, as far as they possibly can. And it's probably going to be even more of a rebuild, I think, this offseason and moving on from additional veterans this uh, this upcoming free agency period and you know with some releases, maybe some other trades. Time will tell, but we'll go over all of that when we get closer to the offseason. All right, some other deals really quick. Montez Sweat to the Bears is an interesting one. Don't want to spend too much time on any of these, but I think this is probably a good deal if you're a Packer fan. I don't know how much you're really concerned uh, or that we should be concerned about what the rest of the division is doing right now. All of Green Bay's time, effort, and energy should be on our own house and figuring out what the heck's going on there. But if you want to look at this from a bear side of things, this is probably not the time, just as I would say to you right now that, hey, Green Bay is not in a position where they should start going out and acquiring talent. I would tell you the exact same thing about a Chicago Bears team that is not in the position yet where they should be trading away draft assets for for talent that could help you win now. And I know Sweat's going to sign probably a long-term deal in Chicago, and they're looking at it as not just a now deal, but a long-term deal as well. What I usually would argue in these situations is instead of trading away a second round pick that's bordering on a first round pick like they did with Chase Claypool last year, but uh, an almost first round pick, let's say a top 40 pick for Montez Sweat and giving him a huge contract, which by the way, Montez Sweat and his agent will have Green Bay by the cojones because they can't trade a second round pick for Sweat and then let him walk. 
instead of doing that, I would much rather just go out in free agency and spend all that money that you're going to spend on Montez Sweat on a big name free agent and still have your second round pick. That's again, a top 40 pick bordering on a first round pick. I would much rather go in that direction, especially where Chicago is as a franchise right now. Now, Sweat's a very good player. He's going to add to that team. They desperately needed a pass rusher. I get all of those things. Not certainly excited about seeing Montez Sweat in the division, but I don't think that this is a, a trade that you worry about if you're Green Bay. I think this is probably something Chicago shouldn't do, and they could have maybe just got Montez Sweat in free agency next year without having to give the second round pick. Some interesting, uh, It's an interesting deal in Chicago and one that I think probably gives you some hope that Chicago is maybe not still running on all cylinders. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Does anyone else struggle with the seasonal blues? I know for me personally, it's not so much the hustle and bustle or anxiety of the season. It's more of memories of holidays past. Thinking back to times when my kids were younger, when different family members were still around, it can all make me extremely nostalgic for holidays that have come and gone. I know everyone's a little bit different and for a multitude of reasons, this time of season can be a lot. And if that's you too, don't fret. It's natural to feel sadness, anxiety, or stress during the holiday season. I think something that we can easily forget is that therapy can be a bright spot amidst all the stress and chaos. It can be something to look forward to, it can make you feel grounded, and it can give you the tools that you need to manage everything that's going on in your life. I've personally benefited from therapy in the past. I'm sure I'm going to benefit from therapy again in the future. I've learned to take a deep breath and enjoy the moments that are happening in the here and the now, and I try to slow down in those crazy busy moments that are sure to exist this holiday season. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, extremely convenient, and can be suited to your unique schedule. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash packaday. Cue the dramatic music. We have a public service announcement. It's not a bird, it's not a plane, it's the most revolutionary ball trimmer the world has ever seen. Gentlemen, our friends over at Manscaped have been working night and day to bring you a below-the-waist grooming experience like none other with their brand new performance package 5.0 Ultra. Featuring the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, we're talking about a next-generation trimmer with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your mind can imagine. Upgrade your grooming game to the Ultrasphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with code PACKADAY. High-tech for low places, Manscaped. Personally, Manscaped is my go-to for all of my grooming needs. Manscaped has some crazy technology that helps prevent nicks, cuts, snags, and tugs in all those ultra-sensitive places. I also personally recommend the Crop Soother Aftershave Lotion that just makes the entire experience so much better. In an area that you have to have trust, I trust Manscaped, and you should too. Right now, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PACKADAY at manscaped.com. That's 20 20% off plus free shipping with code packaday at manscaped.com. I can promise you've never seen a ball trimmer look like a spaceship, so get yours today from our folks over at Manscaped. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? 
You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. I've had so much fun making prize picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. All right. The other deals, Donovan Peoples-Jones to Detroit really quick, like that deal for Detroit. I think that's going to just add depth to a team that's out there and competing. And he gives them just a, a little bit of extra juice at wide receiver. I'm on Ross St. Brown, Jameson Williams, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones should be fun. We saw what Jameer Gibbs did the other day, you know, Laporta at tight end. They're just kind of acquiring assets right now. And they should be a fun team to watch uh, just in general as a football fan the remainder of this year. Ezra Cleveland to Jacksonville for a six-round pick. Didn't really get that. What I would assume is that Minnesota's thinking that they're going to spend in free agency next year. Otherwise, you just keep him on the roster and probably pick up a better compensatory pick for him than a six-round pick that you get right now. So that's a little bit of an interesting one. But if you're going to spend in free agency and nuke all of your uh, you know, compensatory picks anyway, then maybe it could make some sense. They just signed Dalton Reisner and he's been starting in that spot anyway. Maybe they just like Reisner more and the most they, they could get right now is a sixth for Cleveland. Maybe makes some sense, but I like that deal for Jacksonville. Josh Dobbs to Minnesota makes not really much sense to me. Even if you like, what are you going to do? Try to fight your way into the playoffs? Your quarterback's out for the year. Josh Dobbs is going to get you nowhere. You're not going to win playoff games with Josh Dobbs, even if you get there. Let, let Jaron Hall play. He's your younger player. He maybe has a future for you. He probably doesn't, but maybe he does. And he will play this week and maybe you can get a, a better gauge of it then. But Josh Dobbs just feels kind of like no man's land. I don't know what that gets you, but we'll see. We'll see what he brings to Minnesota and maybe he can uh, help them right the ship with Kirk Cousins out. But that Cousins injury is massive for Minnesota and uh, is really going to hurt the remainder of their season and should give Detroit just the easiest pathway in the world into winning the NFC North. All right, let's jump into grades and film review from this past week. Packers versus those Minnesota Vikings that we were just talking about. Top three graded players this week. Really excited about number one, Elton Jenkins plus 0.7. This was the most Elton Jenkins-ish game that we have seen in 2023 so far. Was very desperate for a Elton Jenkins game. He looked really good in this one. Looked good in pass pro. Looked good run blocking. Green Bay needs a steady presence from Elton. They don't have, I mean, obviously Zach Tom has been playing great football, but they just need that offensive line to have some level of consistency and it should come from Elton Jenkins more than anyone else. He has not had a great start to the season. He has been a little bit banged up, which I think has been a factor in his play. I think the week before when he played very poorly against the Broncos, I think a large part of that was not practicing the week before and, uh, you know, kind of fighting through an injury. He looked so much more like Elton Jenkins this week, and I think that's a really positive step in the right direction for Green Bay. Another one that I want to talk about, and I'm excited about number two on my list too, AJ Dillon plus 0.65 grade, number two on my list. You look at Dillon's running, I think he was like six carries for 11 yards, and you're like, oh, this guy, he can't, his carries were nuked before they started. The offensive line did not get him any movement. Defenders were waiting right for him. It was a lot of those goal line or you know third and one situations where he's immediately getting met and there was nothing he could have done this week. 
But where I thought he made his money this week and really was impressive, both in pass protection as well as catching the ball of the backfield. When I say he had four four or five catches, five catches, I think, for like 50 yards, 40, 50 yards, 60 yards, somewhere in there. There was like five catches, 45 yards. But um, he, he caught every target coming his way. I thought he ran hard through contact, stayed much better balanced than he had in, you know, in, in previous weeks. And this is the third straight positive performance for AJ Dillon. So after those first three, four games of the season, that just did not look good at all. He has been a net positive player over the course of the last three weeks and actually has a net positive grade on the season now. Yes, we can make the same arguments early in the season where the blocking wasn't there, but even in those situations, there were times where blocking was there and some of the pass pro and blitz pickups and catching the ball of the backfield wasn't good either. These last three weeks, a much better brand of football for AJ Dillon and really excited what he's excited is probably strong, but I'm just, I'm really happy to see him performing at a much higher level than he did over the first four weeks of the season. And then number three on my list, Zach Tom plus 0.3, just Mr. Consistency on this list every week. I think the crazy thing about Zach Tom being my highest graded Green Bay Packer so far throughout this season is he's had arguably one of the toughest jobs in the past handful of weeks. He's had to go against, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, Max Crosby, Daniil Hunter, like those have not been some easy matchups for Zach and he's handled them about as well as you could possibly expect. Did get some help on numerous occasions against some of those edge rushers, understandably so, but he continues to do his job, play at a very high level, plus 0.3 grade, nothing outstanding, nothing remarkable. Uh, Daniil Hunter got the best of him on a couple different occasions. That's going to happen, tip your cap but just another really nice performance by Zach Tom. So Elton Jenkins, AJ Dillon, Zach Tom, my three highest graded players this week. My three lowest graded players, Christian Watson, my lowest negative 1.05. This is a really disappointing performance from Christian in so many different ways. First of all, I thought his run blocking was poor. I think he maybe had one good run block, but just, I didn't see the effort from him that I usually see out of Christian Watson uh, from just a pure blocking standpoint. I thought he quit on some plays and quit on some routes. I thought there were a couple of his routes that were not crisp in any way, shape, or form. I thought he had multiple 50-50 ball opportunities that he had the opportunity to go up and get and just never had the opportunity or never came down with one of them. This is the type of game that you need a performance from your, what could be and should be, and you hope to be your number one wide receiver long-term. He had opportunities to help his team in this one. And even the play where Jordan Love overthrew him on the right side, I thought Christian Watson slowed down midway through that route, which has been an issue of his for two years now, where he doesn't think the ball is coming his way. So he kind of stops running his route. Those are the sort of things that you see where you're just disappointed because you know how talented, just ultra talented this player is. You're left wanting more when you put the tape on from a blocking standpoint, from an effort standpoint, from a route running standpoint, from a jump ball 50-50 standpoint. All those things needed to be better. They weren't good this week and he ended up my lowest graded player. John Runyon Jr., again, um, he's basically the anti-Zach Tom at this point, Mr. Inconsistency, or I guess Mr. Consistently Poor player on the team this year. Man, it just sucks so much because I really enjoyed John Runyon Jr. a couple of years ago and the tape that he put out there. I don't know what if there's maybe something that's bothering him from an injury standpoint, but he's my lowest graded player on the team so far this year on either side of the ball. There are there was like the first maybe quarter and a half of this game, he looked completely unplayable. 
it didn't look like he came ready to play. I did think he settled down as the game went on and played better later in the game, but it was far from perfect and still nothing like the John Runyon that I've seen in the past. I'm hoping he turns it around. This is, a, as I've said a million times before, this is a contract year for John Runyon Jr. He had every right as a starting right guard who's played well in this league before with a little bit of name recognition that if he has a solid season, he probably goes out and gets a, I don't know, four-year, $55 million deal, something like that. I don't know what he gets on the free agent market right now, but his value, in my opinion, is plummeted. I don't think Green Bay is going to have a whole ton of interest in bringing him back the way that he's played. I'm, I don't know, maybe Adam Stenovich will say differently, but yeah, it has been a, a real struggle for John Runyon Jr. so far this year. And then Jaden Reed, negative 0.9. The biggest one here is the opportunity to go up and get the ball from Jordan Love, make a big play, and instead it ends up intercepted. As Matt LaFleur said as well, that's a play that Jane Reed has to make. You get your hands on the ball, you go up, you, you pluck it out of the air, you make a big time play. That could have been a 20, 30 yard play. And instead it's an interception. That's a turnover worthy play, in my opinion, for Jaden Reed. Uh, I thought he had a couple nice plays later in the game, uh, but also a couple plays uh, earlier in the game that he'd probably like to have back. A couple routes that weren't very crisp, which has been a little bit of an issue for Jaden Reed so far. So overall, uh, I think Reed still shows a ton of flashes and potential. I really like the overall direction, but that 50-50 ball, something that he was awesome at in college, by the way, just ripping those away and going up and getting them. He missed on one this week. I, th I don't think that's going to happen too much again for Jaden Reed, uh, but that's why he was on that list this week. So again, three lowest graded offensive players, uh, J uh, Christian Watson, John Runyon Jr., and then Jaden Reed. Uh, some other noteworthy ones on offense, a low-key, quietly bad game for Aaron Jones, negative 0.35, had a drop pass, had a missed blitz pickup, and had a fumble. That, and I know they recovered the fumble. It wasn't him that recovered the fumble, but he had a fumble right along the sidelines that they had to recover um, that could have been a big game-changing play and is still a turnover-worthy play for Aaron Jones. Yash Nyman, I know a lot of buzz on him this week. Uh, for me, Nyman graded worse than Rashid Walker did this week. I think Walker was negative 0.35, something like that. Nyman was negative 0.65. I didn't think he was the answer or the solution. I'm not saying they shouldn't go with Nyman again. I get maybe wanting to give him a little bit more consistency and maybe the week to practice and start at that spot. Uh, so I'm not saying it was like a huge uh, advantage for Walker this week, but I thought Walker played slightly better than Nyman did this week and uh, didn't think he was... Uh, the the savior that maybe some were expecting him to be at left tackle. And then Josh Myers, despite maybe some comments during the week or whatever you want to call it, uh, he did not play the best football of his career, negative 0.7 grade this week. I thought it was another tough showing even after his offensive coordinator went to bat for him during the week. Maybe that would have motivated him and had him play better. It did not. I thought this was another really tough week for Josh Myers. Top three defensive players, TJ Slayton plus 0.6. Really great job resetting the line of scrimmage on numerous occasions, making stops either at the line of scrimmage or in the backfield. It was penetrating all day long. I think the big thing for Slayton is we have seen these days before for TJ. And then what usually happens is he goes three or four weeks where you don't hear his name again. And then he has a big day and you're like, oh man, this guy could be really freaking good. At three, 330 pounds, run stuffer, gets in the backfield. You can't block him at times. And then again, goes away for three or four weeks. I want to see him stack success. I want to have him uh, see him have a really good game against a Rams offensive line that's not super great. Hopefully, this is a great sign of things to come for Slayton, but until I see it consistently game after game, I'm going to assume this is just kind of those one-offs again where now it's probably going to be three or four weeks of quiet TJ Slayton, but again, I'm hoping that's not the case, and this is what he needs maybe to break out moving forward. 
Keyshawn Nixon plus 0.55. No earth shattering plays, just really consistent coverage. Filled his gaps, thought he tackled well, came up aggressively in the run game. Just a really nice overall performance from Keyshawn. And then Preston Smith, uh, maybe uh, could have graded a little bit better this week. I thought there were a handful of plays where he just kind of got stalemated as a pass rusher, which brought his grade down a little bit, but had the big time force fumble, got in the backfield on numerous occasions, had the play in coverage on TJ Hawkinson in the end zone. If you wanted your wild plays this week, Preston Smith gave them to you. There were just a handful of plays where he didn't give you much, but overall really nice performance from Preston Smith and easily his best game of the year so far. Bottom three defensive performances, Jair Alexander, negative 0.95. Now my lowest graded player on defense still for this season. It's been a really tough year for him so far. Maybe it's the back. I hope it's just the back. He has shown zero signs of really wanting to get involved as a run defender, multiple times backing away from content uh, contact in this game. Had the multiple coverage plays, including the touchdown that he allowed to Jordan Addison, a first down that he allowed to Jordan Addison, another completion that he allowed. Just hasn't been Jair's best performances so far. Early in the year, same thing. Uh, Did not have a great game against Atlanta. I want to see more from a player who has all the talent in the world, has the ability to be one of the best cover corners in the world. We haven't seen that Jair Alexander. We need to see that Jair Alexander moving forward, especially now that Razul is gone. Quay Walker, negative 0.8, had the dropped interception, also got carried into the end zone for a touchdown, got blocked into oblivion by a couple offensive guards in this game. Did think it was Quay's strongest performance of the year. Would expect him to bounce back next week, but I do think his jump has been a little bit overrated from year one to year two. There were definitely some signs early. I think that started to regress a little bit lately, and we've kind of seen some 2022 Quay Walker more recently. Like I said, I expect him to bounce back this week, have a better week, but this was a little bit of a tough game from Quay. And then Kingsley and Igbari, whose biggest play of the game was a roughing the passer penalty, a really dumb one at that, negative 0.45 grade this week for Inigbari. Some noteworthy ones, Devontae Wyatt plus 0.2. I know PFF loved him this week along with Preston Smith. I liked Devontae Wyatt's game this week. I thought he had a really impressive performance. And I do think you are starting to see him take a jump from year one to year two. I think that is a jump that has gone a little under the radar. And I've liked what uh, Devontae has brought to the table. I thought LVN actually had a pretty nice game, plus 0.15. Once again, I'll say nothing earth shattering, but a net positive game is a step in the right direction for LVN. Had a couple nice plays in run defense, got a couple nice plays where he kind of got into the backfield. I think he's progressing. I think you're seeing signs. It's just not pronounced yet, but I do think it's trending in the right direction. Devondre Campbell, awesome to have him back. I thought he was all over the field, did miss a really big tackle late in the game that led to a first down, but even with that, had a plus 0.35 grade on the day and was a huge upgrade over Isaiah McDuffie. And then Razul Douglas, who of course got traded away, negative 0.2 grade this week, his lowest grade of the year. So if you want a positive to take away from him being gone, he is coming off of probably his uh, worst game of the year. Um, Still not a bad game, still a solid performance from Razul, but I think uh, suffice to say he will be missed regardless, but a negative 0.2 grade this week. One last thing really quick, as I was going through this game, specifically defensively, negative 0.25 grade for the defense, which with a 24 point game for Minnesota, I would have probably expected to be a little bit worse. There were a lot of plays where Minnesota picked up big first downs or big plays where I didn't think there was a lot of defenders to blame on the play. And what that means is the opposing offensive coordinator was ahead of the Packers defensive coordinator, meaning they had plays called that were perfect plays to execute against what Green Bay was calling on defense, meaning that 
there was nothing that Green Bay's defenders on the field could have done to make the play successful. It was just a better play call on offense than what the defense could execute given the play call that they had. And that's not a great sign for your defensive coordinator who, are, who I'm not trying to pile on. I know not everyone's exactly on the uh, super excited about Joe Barry uh, bandwagon. I know he's you know kind of public enemy number one more often than not. But I thought this was one of the first games all year where I'm, I really pointed to a lot of plays. Outside of like the Quay play, uh, where you know Quay had the opportunity for the pick, there was obviously some good pressure late. But there were a lot of opportunities in this game where it just felt like Minnesota's offense was a step or two ahead of Joe Barry, and there was nothing the players on the field could have done to really make the play right. And it was just better play calling and execution from Minnesota than necessarily bad play on the field from Green Bay. I actually thought the defense had a pretty good effort and energy and tone to this game. In this one, I kind of just felt like Green Bay got out coached from Minnesota's offense to Green Bay's defense, specifically in the passing game. I thought the run defense was really good in this game from Green Bay overall. That's going to do it for me today. Pack a day live on Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. I'm going to be joined by Paul Brettel as well as Sarah Kelleher, so you will not want to miss that one. If you have not yet, again, checked out Packaday memberships, make sure to do so. Shout out to our All-Pro and Hall of Fame members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wilde, Shea Broadad, Arnaldo Espinoza, Jennifer Wright, Boomhandle, Lori Lord, and somehow, some way, I forgot about Donald Lee for like the last 10 episodes that I've done this. Donald, I am sorry. You are the best. I will make it up to you somehow. But uh, thank you all for being Packaday Podcast All-Pro or Hall of Fame members. Again, check out those memberships. Subscribe if you haven't already. Hit the like button hit those comments up and uh, tell a friend about the podcast if you have not yet done so. Appreciate you guys a ton. I'll see you soon, but until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.